What a week. What a week. Big week. How's your week? Pretty good. Pretty good. We got some uh, we got some big news um, on the horizon. We'll share publicly in a little bit, but got some some more good news uh, related to that today. So, um, yeah, <laughs> can't, can't do it's that. a good tease, isn't it? Right at the right at the beginning of the show. And you're going to have to wait like a week or two okay, before now, you get it. Now but, people just kind of speculate wildly like you, you got to own the message. You can't just I know. No, I'll let them speculate. Are you just, right? You're just like throwing out the cannon with the, the, the mini cannon. Hashtag boom. Hashtag boom, yeah. Got an egg set up already. That's what he always shoots, right? It's a little egg. Isn't that right? I think people are going to read into that just like Revelation here if you keep on going down that path. <laughs> Shooting things straight into the egg. <laughs> lots of places you can go with that. Yeah. So I, I got a, um, not to change the subject, but you and I need to talk after the call. Um, and, and for people that want to hear that conversation, give us $5 a month. That's all you have to do. Five bucks. It's like $1, $1 a week. It, it's a it's a cup of coffee, as NPR would say. Patreon.com slash, guess what? Patreon.com slash thinking religion now. Really? Yeah. yeah we, oh, we've upgraded. We've upgraded. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash thinking religion. So I'm, I'm at, a, at an event this week. And uh, a family friend was there, and this person um, has, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we're sort of in contact. Like, she's, oh, this person has contacted me before about things like uh, like tech support. You know, hey, hey Sam, I, I'll get a text message. Hey, Sam, how do I get my emails from my work onto my phone? You know, that, right. that type of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say this person is at the top of the uh, the tech stack, if you will. <laughs> Lovely person, wonderful person, great person, best person. Uh, but but this person um, surprised me because at this event, we were just kind of hanging out, you know, kind of doing the awkward talk thing. And they said, hey, uh, so I listened to your podcast, <laughs> which immediately in my mind goes, oh, shit, like which, which podcast? Because <laughs> right. You know, we've, we've done some podcasts over the years. And this person says, no, no, the the, the one with Thomas, the the religion one. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we do that we do that weekly. It's, it's, a, it's a fun show. And this person said, well, I, I was surprised. And then I thought, oh, oh crap. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Because we, we've gotten this over the years. You know, we've been doing the show for, what, eight, nine years now? A long time. At least 10 years. 15 years. Who knows? And I mean, it's been like 35 years, I think. I, I mean – I was four years old when we started, and I remember that uh, when we first started, we had people, especially close, like conservative friends of mine on Facebook, saying, "How could you call yourselves thinking religion and or thinking Baptist?" I think it was at the time. That's what it was at the time, yeah. And have a show, and uh, and and there's nothing about the Bible in it. <laughs> I was like, well, so um, anyway, this person said, well, "I was surprised," and I was worried about that because I I really do value this person, and and they've they've been along long-time friend, and, and they're friends of my parents, and, you know, that kind of stuff. So anyway, this person says, no, no, I, I was surprised, because you call yourself thinking religion, but there's not a whole lot in there, kind of like on a religious basis, which we've heard, right? So right. people find us, and they're like, well, why do you classify yourselves in the spirituality or Christianity, you know, thing in, in iTunes, which we don't, but um, I guess people find us that way. Uh, and the, this person said, you know, what, what I really enjoyed about the show and the biggest surprise was that it was a show about friendship, and you, you could just 
hear the friendship between you two, and especially like when you would have these inside jokes and and pick on each other, and it was like getting a glimpse in, in, into you know uh, two two men's friendships, and we don't have enough of that. And she was like, I listen to a lot of po- well, this person said I listen to a lot of podcasts. Can you hear my child screaming in the background? Yeah. Okay, I'll edit that out. <laughs> it, it adds ambiance, right? Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, um, I'll let it. That That's out. what friendship is all about. Yeah, and and she uh, it was like you know it was, it was a show about friendship and that was that's kind of neat. And anyway, so I was I was excited about that, but by, by a non-tech person who listens to the show who who would say that. But yeah. Okay. Back. Anyway, sorry about that background noise. If that's no, there when we get there. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that was like, oh, that's that's so nice. And then I said, go to Patreon.com/slash/ThinkingReligion. Give, <laughs> give us money so our friendship can continue to live on. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to pay Thomas here. Yeah, so it's it's good to hear that. So if, if, even if you don't have five dollars a month, which you do, to to give us you know your cash, um, you, what you can also do is just tell us that you like the show because that's fun to hear, and we get lots of that. Not that we're asking for. You know, that kind of stuff. But it's, we're definitely asking for affirmation. <laughs> it's good to hear. The show's growing. We, we we get more and more listeners every every week, which is a fantastic thing. Uh, so so clearly, you think it's because we're talking about the Bible? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I and that's that's kind of the crazy thing about podcasts. You know, like we're still at this age, and Apple's getting better with this. Android, not so much, but we're at this age where uh, you, you can't tell what people do after they download it. Right. You know, so it's like with with most online marketing, we have pretty good analytics, hence the Trump election um, you know, with, with advertising and yeah. <laughs> being able to put ads on Facebook based on, hey, I, I don't like Jews, so here's a Trump ad. Or, hey, I, you know, I, I um, am of this persuasion, so here's a, a Hillary Clinton ad. Um with podcasting, sorry for the lips back. Basically, you you get a download number, and unless you have something like chapters built in, it's really hard to to tell what people do after this after the download. So that's that's kind of the the big nut that every like Gimlet and uh, uh, NPR, WBEZ, and American Public Radio, all this kind of huge podcast conglomerates are, are trying to crack. Because that's what advertisers want. It's like, okay, right. well, they downloaded it, but now what? It's got like page views. Like, who cares how many people go to your website? Which we don't have websites anymore. But you know, who cares how many people go there? We want to do something with it. So we'll see. Have you upgraded to iOS 11? Yes. What do you think? Of course, uh, I like it. <clears throat> I do think that um, my machine is, you know, a, a tad ancient, so it's a little. You know, maybe running a little slower than it than it is on some other machines, but no, I, I like a lot of it so far. It is interesting. Um, there are some. It was not designed, at least it seems to me. iOS 11 was not designed for iPhones that have a home button, which is really interesting. Um, and then it does a few kind of really odd things. You know, where you swipe down to get your notification center now. Um, it basically takes you back to the lock screen. Right. Right. And then you can scroll and, and I don't know if this is a bug or not. It separates your notifications like current ones, I guess, recent ones. And then earlier today, 
Well, so the first time you pull down and look at them, you can get rid of the earlier today notifications, but not the recent section of notifications. Right. Right. Which is yeah, that, that was a big surprise. I, you know, seems like a bit of a bug. I would think an <laughs> uh, oversight. Right? I mean, there's there's been right. We've seen this. There's been a lot of um, lack of attention to detail in this release. It seems like unlike Apple has had in the past. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels baked, but it, it doesn't feel polished in the same right. sense. So, right. like, if you look at notes and mail, uh, you, you get those you know big ass like San Francisco font things where it says all inboxes if you're in mail or, or notes if you're in notes. And then, you know, as you scroll up, that disappears. Kind of like, you know, what the the web used to do. Um, but if you pay attention to, like, the spacings and that kind of stuff on the on the left margin, like, some of that's off, which I think is interesting. Um, no one else does. I mean, and, and people shouldn't. You know, like you said last week, people are picking these things up, and, and a mainstream audience is not going to notice, you know, 15 pixels over right. to the right in notes compared to mail compared to... But they are going to notice when they swipe down on their notifications that they can't delete them. Do people do that? I do it all the time. I mean, it, I mean, you know my philosophy. Like, I put everything to a folder. I have a clean home screen and, and I use my notifications as my screen. Right. No, I do too. So I use a... Like, <clears throat> I do a lot of things through my notifications, but then there are a lot of them that... Um, I get a lot of notifications that are only to be read and not to be interacted with, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like you new know, stuff. Yeah. Like new stuff or people that I have um, like tweet notifications on, uh, things like that, that they're there, I read them, and then I want to clear them. Right. And, you know, the X at the top is not there to clear them. So, <laughs> yeah. So people are going to notice yeah. that, right? Things they're used to doing, uh, like clearing notifications. Um, they're going to notice that they can't do that. Well, they're not going to notice that, oh, the you know this is 15 pixels uh, farther to the right in this app than it was in the other app. They're not going to notice that. Well, that's, that's why you have to, you know, you swipe right on the, on the pixel. Cause they're trying to, you know, appeal to the tender crowd. they got to they hit the yeah. millennials. Or right. the emergence, as Dr. West calls them. The emergence. <laughs> um, so when, when you're on your home screen, and this is a question for listeners too, when you're on the home screen of your iPhone, do you ever swipe right or swipe, yeah, right to left? Yeah, to swipe to, right. To get to your uh, your widgets, as Apple calls them. I do. Do you think a lot of people do that? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Cause I, I do think, yeah, I, I do, though, honestly, um, I live more in my notifications than I do on kind of the widget screen. So and that's, again, being an Android fanboy. Um you know, for me, widgets are something that's been in Android for a long time, and they're very powerful. And and I don't like I don't have any like app icons. Like on, on I'm looking at my Pixel now, my Android phone. I've got the little phone thing, messages, Chrome, and the camera, and that's it on the home screen. And it's blank. And then you swipe right, and I've got all my music widgets. So it's like Audible, and then Spotify and Google Music and Plex, you know, those things that I want to get to quickly, but that's it. And like all my apps are hidden in the app drawer. And I think Android people have been living that way for a little bit longer. Um, so I, I don't know. I just wonder how long, uh, you know, Apple's going to stick to the little chiclet idea of, you know, your app being something that lives on this screen. and like, That you have to click to get into. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look at my wife's phone. 
you know, I mean, Mariana has my partner's phone. Mariana has, you know, 16 different screens, and we have the exact same phone, and <laughs> or exact same iPhone. And she's got, you know, you, you swipe, 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 swipe. Oh, there's that folder, or swipe, swipe, swipe. Oh, there's there's Facebook. I'm gonna click that. And I'm like, God, that that just seems so, so you know, 2012. But yeah, it seems like a lot so, of Apple people still live there. I think so. I have um. I have not quite three and a half pages of like icons. Wow. Um, but I have a number of, I, I do have a number of folders, um, particularly for apps that I don't use very regularly. The reason I think I would use the widgets screen more often if it were, the problem is if you don't use it constantly, then every time you, then when you do swipe over, you have to wait for it to update. Yeah, yeah, which you don't and, have an Android, but yeah. Right, and that makes right. it uh, less useful because, you know, then I'm like, okay, well, okay, I could have opened my calendar faster to see what was coming <laughs> right. up next, you know. Right. Then, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know, I don't know. You know what might be interesting? Do you, do you want to share your home screen, or is that private? Um, I mean, I, I let me just move some things around real quick. No, no, I can I can definitely share my home screen. I don't I have think a problem people might that. like that. Yeah, I mean, just just move that that Pornhub, you know, link yeah, over to yeah. the next. Yeah, I'll move screen. that over to the second screen. Yeah, you know, because yeah. they're definitely in, in order of use. <laughs> right, right, you know, which yeah, you want to be careful. There's a there's an Android phone called uh, the Nextbit. Um, well, that's a company, and Robin is the name of the uh, phone, and they were recently acquired by, gosh, I'm gonna lose Android nerd points. They were recently acquired. Anyway, uh, Nextbit had an interesting sort of paradigm where the apps that you had lived on your phone for a while, but then if you didn't use them for you know so long, they would kind of be uploaded to this cloud-based system. So that if you didn't use Uber, like for me Uber, like I don't use Uber that that much. Right. I, I don't think I've ever used it in Colombia. But or Lyft, I guess, is the more political correct choice these days. But if I go to San Francisco or New York or Chicago or somewhere for work, then I use Uber all the time. So when I'm in L.A., like I use Uber a whole lot. Right. Um, so in this case, like that would be kind of deleted from your phone and free of memory and be uploaded to the cloud kind of a thing. But it would still look like it was there on your phone. And if you clicked it, it would re-download the app real quick and kind of in the background yeah. and, and launch it. Which I think is a pretty interesting. When and Apple has worked that into iOS 11. Right, right. So now yeah, to see that in, in 11, yeah, yeah it, it's it kind of um, helps out with with some of that. I still see people, you know, when I'm in public because I'm I'm a nerd. I, I like to see what people have on their home screens. You know, it's kind of like the what, what's in your pocket type thing. What's right. in your bag. I still see people doing the uh, the double home tap, like swipe up, or whatever that is. It's it's different on Android. Um. Yeah, the double home tap to get to the multitasking quote feature yeah. in, in iOS, and it shows all the screens of all the previous apps you've had. And I still see people like swiping those up to to stop the process. Right to like force quit them or whatever. That doesn't help your phone. No, it doesn't. And I try to explain this to people because, but it's one of the most persistent myths out there yeah. that that helps your battery life. And in fact, it might actually make your battery life worse because that means now every time you open the app, it has to fully open it as opposed to bringing it back from a hibernated state. 
it's like when people pull up to a, a stoplight and they're almost out of gas and they turn the car off to save gas and they turn it back on. Right. It's like no, no. For for a modern car with fuel injection, like right. that, you're, you're <laughs> that's you're worse. Your gas mileage, <laughs> like yeah, you, you've got to you know reinsert the uh, the the fuel to to get things going. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I think that's that's really interesting. I, I don't think we'll ever get over that. I think I think most people will have Bluetooth headphones before we stop force quitting apps. Yeah. Yeah, but so it's interesting, too. I mean, that's another thing. If you think about iOS 11, I don't think was it was designed for the iPhone 10 and not for any iPhone that still has a home button because you're the multitasking um, in there. You don't double click the home screen, the home button. Uh, you swipe up. Right. And it, it just makes it, it seems I mean, I haven't I haven't gotten mine yet because it's not pre-ordered yet and i read today that maybe there's another delay in the production um but that seems intuitive for getting to that screen um i don't know just the number of things that that ios 11 is doing that would seem to really make sense for the iphone 10 but don't make as much sense on earlier phones yeah or, uh, even, or even even the 8 that is you know is just coming out so right or even the uh, the ipad i mean the ipad really got a, a big upgrade with iPhone 11, I mean iOS 11 because of right. like the dock and the multitasking. So I'll tell you, one of the... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I've been traveling a lot this week and I've carried my iPad instead of my laptop for like client meetings and stuff. And people are like, wait, there's a dock on the iPad now? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> one, of the, one of the features I've liked uh, the most in the past few days is the way iOS 11 handles screenshots. Right, so you take a screenshot, and instead of then having to go into your Photos app and open the photo and then edit it or whatever you want to do to it, it automatically drops it down to the side of the screen. You can tap on it and go ahead and do any kind of editing you want to do. Yeah, and nice. and I screenshot things a lot, um, especially you know, Snapchat. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> you know, for whatever reason, I happen to screenshot things a lot. Often screenshotting well, I, noticed, Trump tweets noticed, to tweet uh, them. Oh yeah, right? yeah Trump tweets. Um, Sorry. And when I do that, I want to I want to go ahead and crop it and edit it out. I don't, you know, I just don't want all the other noise in the picture. And it's been a bit of a cumbersome task to do that. Uh, so I really like that. It's really quick. And from that, you know, go ahead and tap on the screenshot when it drops down the bottom of your screen. And you can not only crop it, but you can go ahead and uh, kind of mark it up and everything too. So I really like that feature. Uh, I think people will do a lot more with their screenshots now uh, than they were doing previously. Yep, I think so. it's really convenient for me because I take a lot of screenshots, but might not be for anybody else. No, I, I know that today. I, I sent you one earlier, and and um, yeah, I was like, oh yeah, the, you know, I forgot about that that feature coming. And it's it's super simple to to manipulate it, you know. And I, I think most people. You know, the thought of, like, taking a screenshot on your phone and then, you know, adding text or, or you know, images or, or, you know, little doodads on your on that picture was a very, you know, cumbersome task that only kind of power users would do. But, yeah, that, like you said, that's that's going to definitely be a mainstream thing now. So we're going to see all sorts of screenshotted uh, <laughs> text and <laughs> selfies. You know, or, or So you and I are both big Twitter users. And, like, right now I'm looking at a tweet by a reporter who um, takes, like, a screenshot of a, of, a, of a news story, and then the reporter will, like, highlight it with the yeah. blue highlight thing, you know, and then use that to, like, make a point in a tweet 
Right. Like that whole process now is going to be really interesting to see how people use that that new feature. So yeah, it's good. Yeah, I, I think so too. So I mean, that's a that's a little thing, but it's something I'm excited yeah, about. I think that's big. Um, yeah. So that's that's cool. What is going on this week? We've got um. There was something else going to. Th- oh, Facebook today. Holy cow. Ah, yes, that's right. So not, not to be non-evergreen <clears throat> here as we talk about iOS 11 and Facebook, but <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg uh, of Facebook today did a kind of a, a town hall meeting on Facebook Live where he kind of bared his soul and talked about how um, angry and disappointed he was that, that um, you know Facebook kind of played a role in the manipulation of the 2016 election. Um and that they are, or Facebook is, uh, making a deal with uh, Mueller and, and the investigation into the Russian meddling of, of the election to release ads that were purchased by Russians to influence the uh, the campaign. And Zuckerberg said that they're going to take further steps to protect the integrity of uh, free and fair free and fair elections, as he said. So I thought that was pretty interesting to um, to see him kind of. So I think some of that was self-protection because absolutely. <laughs> but mean, can we talk for a second about like how everything was a different shade of beige? <laughs> Everyone's like, is this, it's, it's, is it virtual reality or is he in like an Ikea or like something? a, or like a, an episode of black mirror or something? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. It's like the horrible beige future. I don't know. Yeah. That was odd. Um, yeah and like how do you i mean how are you mark zuckerberg and like your aesthetic is yeah i want everything to be a slightly different shade of beige my shirt <laughs> my hair what my couch the will, the desk yeah i don't know i mean he, he's um you know he wears hoodies he's it's it's cool <laughs> it's it's chill it, it's our feature um but yeah i thought that was really fascinating to to see him kind of do that and yeah so it was in a sense marketing and trying to say like hey we're getting ahead of this we don't need government intervention into you know facebook ads um and that seems like the simple answer but there's a whole uh, i should link to this there's a whole other argument here there's a very in-depth kind of advertising marketing blog that i'd love to read called stratechery um like a play on strategery yeah i know i love it but but it's 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 a very good blog, and uh, it was written by a guy named uh, what's it Ben? Gosh, I am I am just uh, not too well. What's his what's his name? Ben Thompson. Yeah. So he wrote a piece this week because um, Mark Warner in the Senate said, and they paid in rubles, in all caps, seriously, on Twitter. So Ben. Uh, here kind of kind of takes that apart, Ben Thompson, and and talks about how well, yeah, of course they paid in rubles. Facebook is a, a international right. thing, you know. And like you're a Democratic senator, like you're, you're gonna you're gonna hang your hat on that. Um, and, and you know, he's showing how they they take uh, what is it, fifty five different currencies, including the Russian ruble and the Polish zloty and the Philippine peso and the Peruvian Nuevo Sol and the Paraguay stuff and stuff from saudi arabia and and sweden the krona the krona. Um, if it's money they're gonna take it 
I mean, it's, it's an international company. Well, I mean, you know, multi-global national company. Right. So anyway, he, he was talking about the difference between, like, like why Mark Warner would be so shocked that an advertising company in the U.S. would take rubles. And he was he's basically saying, like, uh, there are aggregators and then there are super aggregators. And what he means is that Facebook and Google, his two examples, don't have to create content like Netflix or Hulu or even in right. some cases like Apple is going to be doing with their, you know, singing in the car thing, whatever that is. What's, what's the the thing that everyone loves where people sing in the car? Oh, carpool karaoke. Yeah, yeah, right. So, you know, <laughs> that's, that's an Apple product now. But they have to create that content. Facebook and Google don't have to do that. And they're just aggregating all this content and they're aggregating all that advertising, um, you know, to, to sell back to the content. Whereas Apple, Netflix, Hulu have to create content in order to have an audience. Anyway, it's a fascinating, in-depth, way over the top of, of most people's heads. But if you're interested in any of this and you want to see kind of another side of this, instead of just saying, yeah, well, Facebook should be regulated, gosh darn it. Like, yeah, but there's this other stuff going on with zero transaction costs and some of the economies of scale. And um, he calls it a, a general data uh, protection regulation offset because you know, in the EU, uh, they're actually going to be requiring API access to some of the uh, privacy and, and data protection side of things starting in, I think it's October? No, no, it's next, next year. But yeah, that's that's the GDPR. So we, we don't have that in the United States. Um, but that's a big deal for Google and Facebook. Um, so anyway, he, he kind of frames this in a, in a global sense. And he lives in... in Taiwan, so it you know it's kind of got a, a different perspective than most of us Americans. But anyway, go go read that if you're interested in this whole debacle about how Facebook threw the election, or or you know whether or not these ads you know played a role into it. Which yes, they did. But what do we do about that? Is kind of the big question. So the question I keep coming back to with all of this is how is Zuck going to spend this when he inevitably runs for public office? Well, he, he could do what Arcade Fire did. Have you seen those? I know no. You know, both, both are fans of Arcade I am Fire. An, I am a fan of Arcade Fire, but I don't know what you're talking about. Huh? Okay, so they have a new album out. And the album is called Everything Now. And it's it's being compared to the Talking Heads meet U2 in the early 90s. So kind of the acting baby. Right. Feel like Mysterious Ways, all that stuff. Um, and it's it's interesting. You know, kind of listening. But they, they rolled it out with this kind of... I mean, Arcade Fire's an oddball, you know, quote, indie right. band. I mean, they're not indie anymore, you know. But <laughs> ever since, what, what was it? Funeral, I think was their first. Or one of their first mm-hmm. um, albums, like 2003, 2004. And then they had uh, Suburban, Suburbia, Suburban, whatever it was, a couple of years. Oh, gosh, eight, seven, eight years ago now, which uh, which was great. But uh, this thing is, is kind of... Meant to be a take on where we are now. So everything now, hence the name. And they decided, oh, let me find the, the quote here. Um, a big question for us was, how do you release a record post-Donald Trump? Since we were making a record called Everything Now, and it would be coming out after the election, it felt like a real moment to try and address subjects like fake news and how the media works. The other part of it is that when you make a record about this in the modern context, it instantly gets refracted in the media. There's all this side content, this 
trail that follows everything. So we thought that maybe we just make all that content as opposed to just making the art. That stuff was going to get made anyway, so why not make it ourselves? So they basically engineered this whole fake news campaign and right, yeah, Facebook yeah, yeah. ads. Um, you know, so he says also uh, the lead singer, uh, what's his name, uh, Wynn Butler. Uh, yeah. The media is built for clicks, and we're trying to see firsthand how this all works. I feel like now I understand on a much deeper level how Trump got elected. Negativity is what travels. So we learn more about the internet, uh, about how the internet functions, and how it's an insane feedback loop. It's like we just played a show in London, and it was one of the best shows ever played uh, by us. It was honestly so effing exciting. And at the show, we sold a T-shirt where we put an ironic "Everything Now" logo on top of Kylie Jenner's face. <laughs> <laughs> Visually, it was punk as hell. We knew that would that would get a lot of press pickup, but every single news outlet in the world covered it. Well, hyperbole much. Right. Somehow. Uh, there's a story in that, but there's not really a story in band is really amazing at music and plays a live show and people cry because it's so effing beautiful. So it was really interesting for us to see what got picked up about Arcade Fire. The idea uh, plays into what we were doing as well. We were providing the ammunition for people who wanted to write negative things about the band. Here you go. Here's something to be outraged about. So they, they were putting out like on Facebook fake ads with uh fake news or, or fake like trailers yeah, everyone knows the the uh the mythical was it van halen trailer or one of those bands um that that said hey you, you can't have any green m&ms in in the back room right right so a, a trailer is what a band sends out before they're gonna go play a gig and some and some people call it a writer don't they writer i'm sorry no, is that what it is yeah, okay yeah i'm sorry writer writer i'm sorry yeah um so I think it's – was it Van Halen who, who did the green M&Ms? Anyway, and, and the whole point was, like, if you don't pay attention to this, you're not going to pay attention to all the, you know – The important py- stuff. Pyrotechnics going on behind David Lee Roth, right? Um, so, yeah, so the, they, they were putting out all these, like, fake trailer or writers saying, like, uh, yes, and when we go play Jimmy Kimmel, we also want to make sure that there are three white roses in every room and that – uh, there are no chairs in, in this room, you know, that kind of stuff. And it was all fake. But people were, were amplifying that over and over again. So from a marketing point of view, this has been really fascinating to watch. And they've been doing this for about three to four months as they've been starting to promote the record. And, and now that they're still promoting it. And now they're saying, haha, tongue in cheek, which I, I think they just should have not done that. Like, don't tip your hat if you're going to if you're going to go this route, like stay Donald Trump and don't don't admit to the joke, <laughs> you know? Um, anyway, so the, all that to say, um, it works. So, so it works. It definitely works. It definitely works. There's no doubt about that. Right. I mean, all press is good press. All right. We understand that. Um, the, so, but it, I, I think it's going to be a problem for Zuckerberg. Uh, he's going to run. I mean, there's no question about that. He's given all the signs. He's saying he's not going to run, but he's going to run for something he wants to. Um, the problem is going to be um, by the time he does, I think it's going to be very clear uh, the level of influence our Russian activity had on the 2016 election. Uh, I think it's going to become even clearer that how much of it played out on Facebook's platform is even more than what's being reported now. And 
it's going to, you know, be just like a governor. Like, how could you let something like this happen under your watch? Those are going to be the questions that Zuck has to answer. But then beyond that, I think there's another level to him running and basically having access to every person, just about every person in America is some of the most intimate information because like, Facebook doesn't just have what you put out publicly. Facebook has all the things that you mark as private. Facebook also knows when you compose a status update and end up deleting it and not posting it because they want to know what people decide not to post and how can you get people to post those. All right. So Facebook has some of the most intimate details about the vast majority of the population. And I think when people start really thinking about it, they're going to maybe have an issue with one person, at least in theory, having access to all of that information and then also being in public office. Well, so, so I think he has some kind of really big hurdles. I, I don't think he's going to run for president, to be honest. But. No, I don't think he's going to run for president, but he's definitely going to be running for something. And it's probably going to be governor or senator, probably in the Senate to start with, right? Because he's yeah. big enough, he can't go much lower than that. I, I mean, he, I don't know. I, I don't see him. He's not going to run for the county commission. Well, no, but I mean, he should run for board of education and give all the money um, instead of buying houses around him. But think about it this way. So Facebook... Okay, so when I started marketing 15 years ago, uh, we w felt awesome and we paid a lot of money to have something like six personas. Like, okay, well, we're going to market this product. How? Who, who's our target audience? Let's come up with six personas and let's figure out how this product will appeal to them. So now with a Facebook ad, we don't know the exact numbers because it's proprietary knowledge. Um, we, we know with, with Google AdWords, there were somewhere around 10 to 15,000 personas. And most of those had to do with things like, you know, race and, and age and economic information, you know, stuff that Google can easily acquire. Um, Facebook has somewhere around 50 to 65,000 ways to like drill down. So effectively, uh, there are personas such as, um, this person picks up their mobile phone when they are distracted during a meeting, or this person uh, picks up or, or makes a status update when they are fidgety about a big life event that's coming up. And I I don't think people understand the the scope of <laughs> the algorithm. Right. Um. And, and Facebook doesn't. I mean, obviously, like we we saw that last week with the ProPublica stuff and right. and. You know, you can target Jew haters, like what? Or you know, they, they shut that down, and all of a sudden, uh, was it Buzzfeed? I think went back in and said, "Hey, you can still target people that are are members of the KKK or racist right. or says this about, you know, African Americans, whatever." Um, and, and AdWords was the same way, and these companies have have made so much money so quickly on the backs of the data that they're acquiring. Uh, Facebook was notorious back in the day, in the early, earlier days of iOS, not too far long ago, but they would play a high-pitched sound that no human could hear to keep their app running in the background. So like one of the tricks on Android was to, you, you actually did have to force quit Facebook and it would save like percentage points of your battery each right. day because Facebook would constantly run even if you weren't using it because it was playing this constant noise to be able to get location data and that kind of stuff. Well, you know, why that wasn't a huge class action lawsuit, I don't know. But um, 
you know, coming at this from a marketing point of view, it, it's a huge blessing, but it's a huge curse because we, we've let the tiger out of the trap, you know, and, and there's no going back. There's too much money. And Facebook and Google are both huge, huge, huge uh, lobbyists in Washington. So to think that Washington is going to step in, even with the best in, of intentions, and, and try to regulate this stuff is like thinking that the Republicans are going to all of a sudden, you know, make a turnabout and, and stop trying to appease the insurance industry, you know, which is also a huge lobbying group, um, you know, to, to re- repeal Obamacare. So I think as – I don't know. I think we're screwed. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. So sum it up. We're F to the A. I mean I, I mean look at this thing with Arcade Fire. You know, like and, – and they're talking about how they they put on Facebook that there was going to be a – you know, uh, or, or they, they promoted an ad that said, oh, well, Arcade Fire is making people come to their shows in a dress code. And it got so much publicity and fans were all pissed off and, and – Music blogs were re- reporting it, and people were sharing it on Facebook, and they're like, "All you had to do was call us." Like, no, we weren't doing that. It was a it was a fake news ad, but it got people to the show, and people were pissed off, and negativity sells. And you know, it, it, it's like it's like when the Sex Pistols cursed on TV for the on network TV, like that was a big deal. But this is a whole new phase of that. Like, you know, Kurt Cobain. In 1992, kind of throwing his middle finger up at MTV is one thing, but now we're we're at this level, where because we don't really give a damn, or or because we're so gullible that that we think that Facebook or Google has our best interest in mind, or the government has our best interest in mind. Sorry, um, you know we we kind of give over this this element of trust and and uh, authority that. I think we have to be really careful about if our dem- if our democracy is going to survive. Otherwise, we're going to be floating in, in or the, the rich of us are going to be fat and white and floating in airships above the earth while Wally is down here cleaning up all right. the crap that we left. Yeah. So, so I think you're right that negativity sells. Um, my my question, my follow up question to you would be: Is that why Revelation is so popular? <laughs> well. I've, I've prepared some information about that tonight. Um, yeah, well, I, I think every generation thinks it's the last, to quote Wilco. This is our right, I mean, yeah. right, it's supposed to be um, Sunday, right? Is, no, it's, is it Saturday or Sunday? Oh, I think it's Saturday. There's been another that. prediction that it's going to be Saturday, that you know they watch the moon and the stars, and this is going to be the end of the world. And it's like, Have you, have you seen that crazy-ass video? No. <laughs> There's a, a white lady uh, who... who there's the always a white lady. <laughs> she's on the moon and she has a, you know, the crown of twelve stars, and she she's pregnant and she's beautiful. I mean, I, I was like, damn. Um, and uh, and she gives birth and then all of a sudden this dragon is on the moon with her, and he eats, or the dragon. I, I don't want to be gender normative. The dragon <laughs> <laughs> about dragons, you know. Hashtag. Uh, <laughs> and, and the dragon eats the baby, and then all hell breaks loose, literally. But yeah, I'll, I'll I'll use that video on our uh, show notes. If you haven't seen the video, or know what we're talking about, um, Green Day has a song called "Last Night on Earth." I didn't know that. Me either. I, I was, was like, wait, the really? U2 song? Yeah. I was oh. looking at the U two song. Um, do you know the U two song "Last Night on Earth"? I don't Most know. People don't. Probably once you start singing it. 
It's from Pop. That's why nobody knows it then. Uh, that was their <laughs> best album. Asshole. All right, so... I thought Zeroper was their best album. No, Joshua Tree. No, God, go away. <laughs> uh, she's, she's not waiting on the Savior to come. She's at the bus stop with the news of the world and the sun. Sun, here it comes. She's not waiting for anyone. you got to give it away. Well, she knows just what it's worth. She's living like it's the last night on Earth. Ugh, it's a great song. It Okay, I'm going to put that in the show notes, too. Go listen to, to Pop again in, in, in 2017. It's it's so prescient. Anyway, um, yeah. So th- this this person who calls himself a religion, religious studies scholar or something, uh, has predicted. I don't know why this got traction. Again, negativity sells now. It used to be sex sells, but sex is boring because we have Tumblr and Reddit, right? I know so what now, happened to that man. That was supposed to be my ticket too. The internet. <laughs> I know. We have the internet. So and and you you know and it's it's not cool to say someone's sexy anymore. You know. So like the Pamela Andersons or whatever the world that uh, you know Paris Hilton's that made their their way on their sexiness quote unquote um, you can't do that anymore you got to make your way with negativity right real real housewives version negativity so yeah. exactly exactly yeah. right and and uh, I mean even things like uh, The Bachelor and America America's Got Talent those those crappy shows like uh, send an email to Thomas at thinking <laughs> those shows thrive because of negativity. You know, it's I'm better than you are. I'm prettier than you are. I am going to get the bachelor or not. Um, you know, hey, hey, bra, look at my my muscles. You don't have these muscles, bra. I'm going to get the bachelorette. Like that. That's negative. Not not to the sense of, you know, what our president espouses, but negativity sells. Right. It's a sad fact. Hope. I mean, you know, if 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 the Nabe Ru or Planet X is coming back, then you know they they would pick a good week. I mean, it's we got hurricanes, we got earthquakes, we got uh yeah, we got all, all manners of of you know catastrophes, wars and rumors of wars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if if you're gonna pick a moment in time, it feels kind of like the temple's about to fall in Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah, it does. That's really interesting, right? When you kind of think about that, you know, I try. I think that's a that's a good way to put it. Um, you try to explain to people, like you know, students, like, okay, Mark was written around the time when the temple was destroyed, maybe just before, maybe just after. And sometimes there's this question of, well, how how could he have written before the temple was destroyed, but written as if he knew the temple was destroyed or going to be destroyed? And it's kind of like this moment, right? It's you know, you see everybody coming in, you know that the Romans are going to destroy, you know, they're already starting to destroy the city, you know, they're going to destroy the temple, you know, it's happening, right? And I, I think that's right. I do think that's kind of this moment has that feeling. Yeah, it, it's just like this. You know, everyone says, "Is this is this the new normal? Like, what happened? Where are we? What? You know, why are we debating whether or not Jimmy Kimmel can talk about healthcare? Or, and why is Donald Trump president? And why are we talking about eliminating North Korea? And why are there all these earthquakes and and hurricane category fives? And why is a piece of ice the size of Delaware breaking off of Antarctica? And why is Game of Thrones ending? You know, like, it, it feels like everything is... <laughs> it is apocalypse now. Yeah. You know, I uh, speaking of, Mark, do you want to hop in to the yeah. Bible Bracket Challenge? Let's hop into the Bible Bracket Challenge. Honestly, if, if, you, if you couldn't tell, we've been uh, probably trying to delay and avoid it a little bit because um, the Elite Eight is 
just super tough. It is very uh, apocalyptic. Well, there's only actually a little apocalypse, but ah. and, and and how difficult it is. So we get okay, we get Mark's literal apocalypse right in chapter thirteen, and then we get Matthew, Revelation. Matthew ten. Yeah, yeah, That's a little, little bit. Apocalypse. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's still some Mark, but um, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's just super tough. Okay, but there's no way around it, right? It's just like it's just like. Are, the, are, are you, know, you saying that? Are you saying that Matthew cucked Mark? That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Sorry, just to use a common parlance. Of yeah, exactly. MAGA. <laughs> yeah. That, right, it's it's the river, right? Title, but we can't. You know, when you're yeah. when you're playing whatever that game is, and you can't go around the river, and you can't go under it, and you can't go over it, you got to go through it. What the hell are you talking about? I don't know. You never played that game. Our listeners will know what that what that game is. Oregon Trail? No, it's not Oregon Trail. I'm not talking about dying of dysentery. Halo. <laughs> No, it's some, it's some game. It's not a game in that sense. It's a game in like, um, I don't like know. A Zen, Zen prophecy. No, it's like a YMCA game you play in a group or something like that, or like a youth group game, or I don't know, something like that. Uh-huh. Our listeners will know. Uh, get in touch with us on Twitter at Thomas Whitley at Sam Harrelson. Let us know what that game is called and send us videos of you playing it because it's a real thing. Sam needs <laughs> to know about it. Um, yes. But yes. we can't avoid the Elite Eight. Uh, we've got to do it. As painful as, as it's going to be, so let's rip the bandaid off. Uh, let's start with Matthew and Romans, and Oof. I know we did. We did uh, I, I just want to make this. Uh, Jesus, I, I want to make this. <laughs> I just saw a thing on Twitter that scared me. Twenty-seven million people like Patriots United. Oh wow! It's it's a terrible pay anyway. And it's Russian. <laughs> um, we don't talk about the Bible Rocket Challenge before the show starts. No. So for the last, how long have we been we've been doing this? Like, fifteen weeks. We don't. <laughs> we've never like said, hey, we should we should throw this for Matthew or Romans, which which I think is pretty laudable. So today I was talking to Marianne about this, and I'm like, so I'm not going to do what you tell me, of course, but what do you think? And and she said, well, I thought you and Thomas like talked about this beforehand, and I was like, no, no, we we don't ever talk about this. The, the fix is definitely not in. No. What happen? What you know? What happens at the Bible Bracket Challenge happens on the show, and that's the show. But we're only down to eight left. Eight out of ninety-four. Rocket Man. So it's kind of amazing that the three of the final four matchups have a canonical gospel in them. Eh, I, I saw that coming. But what I what I thought was going to happen, to be honest, is going to be the last one we talk about tonight. Okay. I thought those were Mark versus Genesis. Yeah. I thought that was going to be it. Yeah. And now we got to decide that tonight. <laughs> decide it now. Exactly. Yeah. Hashtag team Mark, team Genesis, Jacob and Edward. All right. So let's let's go with Matthew. Matthew versus Romans. Um, I'll let you start. I knew you were going to do that. Okay. <laughs> Damn it. Because I want to start the next one. <laughs> okay. So here's, here's the problem now is... I'm thinking we've got three Gospels. We have four matchups. We can't have three Gospels win, which is maybe not the right way to, to approach this. Um, it, honestly, that's not going to happen. I know. I know it's not going to happen. But So I, pre- I prepared for this, or, or I attempted to prepare for this today, and I mean, most of my notes are just like, I don't know, <laughs> right? Can I just flip a coin? Um 
Okay, so Matthew is Mark Redux. We know this already. We've talked about the synagogue across the street. We've talked about uh, Jesus fulfilling prophecy. Didn't Have we talked uh, um, in the Bible Bracket Challenge? I know we've talked about it on the show before, but recently in this challenge, have we talked about Circus Jesus and Matthew? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah we talked about Jesus. Circus Jesus, right? Because Matthew's all cares about Je- Jesus fulfilling Zechariah. prophecy, and so he has yeah. his Zechariah. Uh, this prophecy from Zechariah, and it says, and it's it's written in Hebrew, and it's parallelism, right? So it's it's like poetry, kind of, and so it's you know the a donkey, you know a colt, the you know um, which which doesn't the fall that of a donkey. On, doesn't that throw shade on the whole idea that Matthew is is about the synagogue across the, the street? No, okay. If he, if he doesn't know, I, I know it's yeah, like saying, well, you can't be a Christian if you don't know English or something, but. No, I understand what you're saying. So, so here's the thing: Matthew doesn't read Hebrew well, and Matthew also wants everything to fulfill prophecy. Um, right. so I I don't like know me. that that in and of itself, um, kind of cast aspersions on uh, Christer Stendhal's theory of the synagogue across the street, um, because it's not saying necessarily that the quote unquote synagogue. Uh, that does believe that Jesus is the Messiah is a kind of super smart, well-versed synagogue, right? Um, that that does not that's not we don't have to assume. I mean, this, I used to tell students this a lot. Like, we don't have to assume that these people know what they're talking about. Yeah, right. Which I do think is a problem that we get into often, not just with the Bible, but but just with literature in general. Where we read things and and think that. It should be logical, right? And and that it should we have to figure out how it makes logical sense, and and that's just not an assumption with which we should approach these texts. So, um, so I, I, I get what you're saying there. I don't know that I would that it would go that far because I think there are a lot of other ways um, that Matthew does serve as you know, as part of this theory as a handbook uh, yeah. to to answer questions that arise from reading. Um, that could potentially arise from reading Gospel of Mark. Okay, so yeah, that's so, good. That's good. So Matthew. Uh, copies basically the entirety of Mark. I mean, what, it's something like 85% of it or 90% of Mark um, is in Matthew verbatim. Okay. Um, you know, you've heard us say on the show a lot, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Um, there are ways in which Matthew is a is a great artist in doing this. Um, and he rearranges a lot of the material um, chronologically. And... And he does a lot with it, and he doesn't add a lot. But what he does add is really uh, important, right? And so we have this process of redaction criticism where we can look at Mark and we can look at Matthew, and we can see how Matthew changed Mark, and that gives us insight into what's important to Matthew. This is you know part of how you get the Jesus fulfilling prophecy is so important to Matthew, because um, it you know the passage may say and Jesus did this, and Ma- and then in Matthew it'll say and Jesus did this to fulfill prophecy. Right. Over and over and over again, just like in Luke, it's Jesus praying over and over and over again in scenes where he wasn't praying in Mark. Right, so you kind of get a sense of what's actually uh, important to the author there, um, and he does give it a a form. Mark, not that uh, the Gospel of Mark doesn't have form, but he gives it uh, a different and distinct form. Right, where Jesus is the second Moses. You have the five books of Moses. You have all of these things. Um, and so he actually does a pretty good job with that. Um, and it's obviously memorable. It was <laughs> – it got a lot of traction very early on, right? Yeah. For whatever yeah. reason. Um, 
it, it's it's a more complete story, and I think that's part of what has helped it get the traction that it's gotten over Mark, for instance, which was uh, its precursor. Romans, I mean, we talked a lot about Romans as well. Um, we've talked about some of the downside in Romans. We've talked about some of the really interesting things in Romans 9 through 11, particularly the question of Israel and what does Paul mean when he talks about Israel. And if you want to hear me talk about that more, I wrote a master's thesis on this, but I won't let you read it because I'm scared to read it now because I don't think it's very good. But I do hold by my my kind of main um uh, thesis in that 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 Paul's use of Israel there is intentionally ambiguous. Um, I think Romans is really interesting because uh, Paul is trying to figure it out, uh, and and he hasn't gotten it figured out, and that it also gives us this insight into you know kind of a, a window into um, maybe the more mundane things that are going on that actually play a bigger role than than people would like to think, right? And so this is where I would say all religion is politics, because right? for Paul, it's about getting this offering, taking it to, you know, getting the money, going on to Spain, then taking the offering from the church in Rome uh, to the church in Jerusalem, and it's basically um, a, a peace offering. It's a makeup gift, is what it is. Um, so we kind of get insight into the politics there, and we cannot, I, I think it is difficult to overstate the role that Romans has played, particularly in Protestant theology. Um, oftentimes to my chagrin, uh, but it has been extremely influential uh, in Protestant theology, and particularly evangelical theology, right, with the Romans Road. Did you ever learn that growing up? I'm sure that Mariana learned Romans Road growing up, where it's, you know, these verses that you pick out of Romans to take them down this path that you know, to present the gospel. I tell them Romans three twenty three all of sin fall short of the glory of God, but it's okay. Yeah, um, so it's been <laughs> it's been really really influential, um, and and one of the criteria that has emerged throughout this challenge has been kind of how culturally significant or influential uh, the text has been, and and on this for this Don't matchup, do it. Don't for, do it. for this matchup, I think they're even. Okay, I think they're even in kind of the the cultural significance there. So then, and I'm honestly, this is just, I'm making this up as I go because I don't know which way I'm going to go yet. Um, so now I have to pick another criteria to, to pick this, uh, to pick this battle, um, Matthew versus Romans. And I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go with Matthew. And, and the deciding factor for me is, okay, you have the Sermon on the Mount, which is fantastic, though Luke's is better. Sorry, Luke Twitter. <laughs> Luke from the first round. Luke from the first round. Um, the end, and particularly the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Everybody knows the beginning in chapter five with the, the Macarion, right? The blessings, you know, blessed are the you know, poor in spirit, et cetera. Um, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the cheesemakers. Did he say blessed are the cheesemakers? Blessed are the cheesemakers. What about everybody else? <laughs> Sorry. Um, the end of it. Uh, in, in chapter 7, where he's kind of wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, we're in the kingdom of heaven. God bless it. You took my thing. Ugh. But, okay. Do you want first. to finish Go it ahead. for me? But. But the one who does the will of my father yeah, God. exactly. The one who does he's the will of my heaven. father, right? Who's in heaven, which is what? 
that's works. That's a works righteousness. And, and you compare that to what Romans ten nine, which says, because if you confess with your mouth, which I've heard, I heard this growing up over and over and over again. Right. And believe in your heart. With your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. be saved. I don't like that. I don't either. And so I think that's what tips me toward Matthew. That, so. that was that for me too, God. We, that's so weird. <laughs> wow. I'm at my notebook. Wow, oh, that's weird. This is, this is definitely a moment of divine intervention. <laughs> Synchronicity. We're like the police, 1983. Wow. Wow. That's huge. That is that is actually huge. This is big, okay? I mean, this is, a, after all, a show about friendship. We don't, yeah, we don't always agree on things. <laughs> we definitely don't always agree, <laughs> particularly on the Bible. Okay, wow. Well done. Okay, so we picked Matthew Romans. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say three, two. Yeah, me too. Yeah, wow. Wow, that's funny. That That's a first on this show. <laughs> and we had the same verses. We, we proof-texted the same <laughs> verses. <laughs> Well, I was I was reading through Romans and I'm like, yeah, twelve two is great. I mean, even even the early part of Romans where Paul is kind of saying, I really want to visit you. Uh, you know, look up to your leaders. There's some women. I don't. I still don't think Paul actually makes it to Rome. I think he might have gone to Spain. I I, I really don't think he uh, he went there. Um, but so he he makes it to Rome, but not on not on the trip that he was planning. I don't think he makes it on the trip he was planning. I think he makes it to Rome um, under arrest, under house arrest. You, so you think Acts is accurate there? I, it seems to me. Um, I don't know. I don't but know. Acts doesn't tell us, right? Acts doesn't. Well, okay. At the, by the time Acts is done, he's dead, and Acts doesn't tell us that he's dead. Uh, right. Should, like but, why why wouldn't you why wouldn't you close the story there? Like why ended it with him, you know, under house arrest? Because it ends the same way Luke ends, right? It's just Luke part two yeah. and Luke part one ends with, you know, they're continually in the temple daily praising God, and then Acts ends with uh Paul essentially under house arrest spreading the gospel, praising God. All right, so so it kind of makes sense from a literary perspective why he ends it that way, and because he's he's trying to talk about how great it is, and you know how this philosophy is spreading throughout the Roman Empire. You can't say my main character ends up dead, or or my main character ends up in Spain and not in Rome. Right, right. I mean, who knows? But I I, I don't know. Like I, there's there's enough ickiness weirdness there where it's like, does he die in Jerusalem? Does he uh, does he make it to Spain and? kind of sidesteps i don't know yeah i mean you're right with with luke he's got to end up in in rome yeah so that makes sense and we'll talk about that more next week when matthew either takes on revelation or job yeah um all right so you wanted to start this one this is hard for me um i love job i i you know i i would have been happier with hosea in this context and i think hosea might have held a, a more I don't know. I am a student of Adelia. Adelia, uh, I can't talk. Adela. Yarbrough Collins. Yes. A professor of, of mine. And she, um, she's written a lot about the apocalypse and apocalypse literature and about Revelation. Took an awesome class with her in seminary on, on or Divinity School on Revelation. And one of the books she wrote that I will have in the show notes. And there are actually some in stock on Amazon and paperback called Crisis and Catharsis, which is a, a great book. I've, I have a copy from her class. But uh, she talks about Revelation 
not in a necessarily historical sense. I mean, she is historical critical for sure, but it's it's more about the social themes and, and the psychology kind of behind apocalypse literature. So it, it's more kind of a, I guess, a psychological view on the crisis that she kind of imagines this community in Asia Minor or Turkey, probably around Ephesus, you know, if you take the text at, at its value, which, you know, you probably should in this case. I mean, I don't think there's any reason to, to fake Patmos. Um, but she, she kind of talks about the existential crisis that is there in apocalypse literature of the kind of third century BCE all the way up to the, you know, first century um, CE and how Revelation is kind of a, a Christian reflection of that um, of, of that situational kind of ethical apocalypticism, uh, which I, I think is, is fascinating and, and kind of a good take. So for me, um, Revelation here, uh, just because of its cosmology, eschatology, the, the impact um, that that Revelation has had throughout you know, the, the course of history, definitely of, of modern-day Protestantism, but also just Christianity in, in general. Um, you know, like like with this week, with, with the world ending, based on <laughs> uh, eschatology. I, I think uh, Revelation here is going gonna, is gonna to take it for me four to one. Oh, wow. Okay. <clears throat> um, so, I actually had a, a good conversation about Job um, with some people this past weekend. Uh, it was really interesting. Um, and one of the things, and I know I've talked about this before, that I really like about Job, I mean, so I've been clear, I don't like how Job ends, period. I don't like that at all. I honestly don't really like how Job begins either. Because, you know, God and the accuser, they're just kind of like, oh, yeah, let's screw with this guy's whole life. Um, but I do like the kind of what I take to be the central one of the central messages of Job, which is pushing against the idea that someone is experiencing, uh, you know, loss, sickness, uh, poverty, anything like that because of sin or action in their lives or in the lives of their ancestors. And I'm probably already talked about this when we talked about Job, but I think that's an important message that more people need to hear today because we still have this idea that, well, if you're poor, it's because of choices that you've made. Um, even today, uh, we had this week the 15th deadly um, uh, uh, gun shooting in Tallahassee. Uh, the record in Tallahassee for number of gun deaths in a year is 17. And we're not even to the end of September yet. Uh, we have, for the past three years, had the highest uh, crime rate per capita in the state of Florida. We have a crime problem. Uh, and in this, and there are a lot of people really trying a lot of good things, uh, a lot of, you know, kind of intentional things in various neighborhoods, uh, people in the neighborhoods, you know, doing a lot of really good work uh, to address these issues. But you have city leaders still talking about, well, you know, it's just this is really disheartening, but it just goes to show you know, how important individual responsibility is. And I'm like, you've, you've missed the whole point. Right. Yes. At some point, at the end of a long line of events, some individual raises a gun and pulls a trigger. 
But this is the end of a very long line of events that honestly have rather little to do with individual responsibility. Right. Um, and, and so I think this is an important message that a lot of people uh, still need to learn. Um, with that, if we go back to the criteria I was trying to use with Matthew and Romans and cultural significance, obviously Revelation beats that out. But for me, uh, I think the kicker that makes me pick Revelation is uh, Jesus' thigh tattoo. Right. So he has this. Sorry, I was on mute. So yes. In chapter 19, he has this, right? It says, you know, and on his thigh, the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So looking around, see, okay, how are some people talking about this? And I found this um, fantastically horrible website that you should absolutely never go to called JesusTheBoss.com. No. And making this argument that clearly Jesus did not have a tattoo on his thigh. And, you know, a quote unquote Christian tried to use this as a, you know, um, proof text so that they could get a tattoo, which is really. Um, oh, my God. This is all in comics. Quite sense. funny. It it actually is. Right. It says. What is this? Sign? It is as bad as you could imagine it being. But anyway, um, I like, you know, I like my Jesus with tattoos like me. So uh, for me, <laughs> Revelation 3. Two. Well, you have that same t- tattoo. I do actually not have that tattoo. <laughs> But, um, yeah. Do you, have, do you have a link to that specific place on this? I do. God for a second site? JesusTheBoss.com slash Jesus oh, Tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> Should a Christian get a tattoo? Is a tattoo a sin? Does the Bible forbid tattoos? God is in, and it's written in tables. Holy crap. Wow. So there's your rabbit hole for the evening. I'm totally di- digging in. This is fantastic. What great, great find. Okay, three two. You said I'm sorry to step on you. Yep. There. Yep. Okay. Wow. So I, I went with a. I you know Revelation is highly, highly, highly misunderstood and uh, I guess misappropriated. Yeah, we really probably should next week when we talk about Revelation actually kind of break down more of the. Like how you should actually read it. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like when we get to the final four, we need to, like, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna have to go in depth because these are, uh, you know, I mean Matthew, we we could spend a whole show on, if not a semester. Yeah, we could do a whole year. semester on Matthew. <laughs> and then Revelation, yep. and then you know the next two as well. All right, so there we go. Matthew versus Revelation next week in in the final four. Wow. I did not see Revelation making it all that way. I mean, I did, but I, you know, like First Corinthians, right? Yeah, it, it barely got through First Corinthians, and then it kind of had an easy job with Judges, and then yeah, Job, huh? Well, it's you fitting know. that it should make it to the end. <laughs> it'll it'll burn out with us this week. All right, that takes us to our next match, which is going to be these next two matches are, are insane. All right, so we have. Our second seed in the whole tournament, the Gospel of John, or the fourth, the gospel, fourth gospel, if you want, as we prefer to call it, Cole Pepper it, and First Samuel, or the first half of the Book of Samuel, if you want to call it. Um, you get to start. I don't want to start on this one. Um, <laughs> go for it. I, I want to hear your argument so I can refute you, and adjust my scores accordingly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So, 
all right, John is my least favorite gospel, but it is a super interesting gospel, right? So you have this whole um, just crazy high uh, Christology in John where, right, so you have Mark where Jesus is maybe probably not even divine, and then you have Matthew where it's like, no, clearly this divine birth thing like that, obviously, like look at this. And then John is like, he's definitely probably not even human. Right? So it's really interesting kind of comparing the Christologies and it starts off and the beginning was the word and the word was uh, with God and the word was God. It's, I mean, the first 18 verses of John, we've talked about this. They're beautiful. It's really poetic Greek. And then John's like, that's all I got, guys. <laughs> and then it kind of goes back to just like normal New Testament Greek for the most part. Um, really great kind of uh, catch words being used there in the prologue. Right. So in the beginning was the word and you have the word was with God and the word was God. Right. So the, um, the catch word that connects it to the next phrase, which interestingly enough, and this is not necessarily relevant here, but that's an argument for the book of the 12, right? The 12 minor prophets, uh, reading them together as a collection of books is uh, between a lot of them. You have kind of catch words like this that tie them together, um, as well. But, there's also then in the prologue this really interesting bit where um, you get like it's a break in the prologue, right? Uh, and so you have this kind of really poetic uh, thing going, talking about the word and talking about uh, the light and then darkness and the man sent from God, right? So the light shines in darkness, etc. Um, and then all of a sudden, he says, light shines of darkness, darkness did ever come in. Um, and then there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Like, okay, this is, we're still good. He came as a witness to testify to the light. Right? Naturally, he should be the light. But then he goes on to the all might believe him, believe through him. He himself was not the light. Don't mistake it. But he came to testify to the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone who's coming into the world. And then you get back into kind of this rhythm again. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know. All right, so et cetera, et cetera. And I'm coming to his own. And so there's a way in which you can read the prologue is actually maybe about John, John the Baptist, before it was co-opted to be about Jesus, which is a really interesting way to read it. Well, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have a lot of traction, but it's something that I think is, is really interesting. See, but the way John is in its canonical status, you have this – um, this divine, uh, this kind of pre-existent um, Jesus figure who is from the above, and he comes down to the below, and then he returns again to the, you know, to the above. Um, so he, he came from heaven to earth to show the way from the <laughs> cross to the grave. My heart to say, please don't. Lord, I left your name on high. Oh God, such a bad song. Um, <laughs> it's almost as bad as. Um, above all. Oh, God. You, you know what? I, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> you know what You know what we sang at church recently was uh, I, ple- I Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb? I don't think I know that song. Yeah, that, that's a good thing. If any of you do, like, oh, my God. I, I'll send you a, a YouTube link or something. Above all might be, I mean, it is one of the most, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of contemporary Christian music that is bad. It is narcissistic. Above all may be the most narcissistic. I mean, it's That's just terrible. absolutely terrible. Okay, so anyway, so you have Jesus. From, he's the man from the above. So it's really kind of interesting from a cosmological standpoint. Um, and I, I like the tension that you get at the end where it's like, okay, he's clearly uh, divine um, or 
not exactly human because he can just walk through walls and lock doors, but also he's physical, right? Thomas can put his finger um, in his side, like we get in the famous uh, Caravaggio printing the incredulity of St. Thomas. And, and then he's on the, he's on the shore, most likely eating fish with the disciples in chapter 21 there. So this tension between is he human? Is he not? I mean, it's kind of a, an interesting thing, particularly in this particular gospel. Um, and then you have signs and you don't have miracles, right? There are no miracles in the gospel of John. There are seven signs. That's all there are. Now, the reality is there are more because you can see seams in the text. So he does the first miracle and it tells you, or the first sign, the gospel tells you this is the first sign. And then later, uh, you he does another sign and it tells you it's the second sign. But before you get to the second sign, it actually talks about him doing other signs. You're like, okay, this is, they didn't quite seem this uh, together as well as, uh, as well as they could have when it was on the cutting room floor. Um so there's a lot of actually really interesting stuff happening in John, even if it is my least favorite gospel. Um, and my problem now is I don't have a whole lot positive to say about first Samuel, uh, but I don't want to vote for three gospels. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Let, 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 the, um, let the Hebrew Bible flow through you. I do think from a, I do think 1 Samuel is not a text that gets a lot of kind of publicity, but I do think in the composition of the Hebrew Bible, it is a very important text. Um, and because I cannot bring myself to vote for, because I'm obviously voting for Mark, I cannot bring myself to vote for three Gospels <laughs> to make it into the final four. I have to go with 1 Samuel, but maybe save like... It for, save it for Genesis. I don't know, man. Um... Yeah. Okay, I got to go John 3 2. Wow. Really? Not 316. <laughs> no, what not 316. What is John 3 2? I mean, I think I know what it is. Wait. Yeah. Uh, he came to Jesus by night. This is Nicodemus. Yeah. Said, "Damn yeah. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, and uh, for for no one can do those signs that you do apart from the presence of God." The other thing I see. The other thing about John is it's actually pretty funny, right? This whole Nicodemus bit, where he's like, yeah. he "Must be born again," yeah. and Nicodemus is like, "Can I enter my mother's womb again?" Like, it's actually a pretty funny text that we lose because we we read the Bible and think it can't be funny. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of I think there's a bit of humor um, in John as well. So, John three two, I had to do it. I'm just thinking of the Nicodemus scenario with a Monty Python, you know, kind of, yeah, kind of fit. Um, <laughs> Pantera. All right. So, oh wait, geez, what what am I doing here? Oh yeah, John First Samuel. Okay. Um, fourth Gospel, I should say. Yes, everything you said about Gospel of John. Um, my least favorite, but impactful and in the interest of time um and because david ray is not here <laughs> i get to riff on first samuel so the beginning of first samuel is really fascinating with, with the hannah story you know kind of in, in the, the birth of samuel if you will and and you know you, you can make it into uh you know god answers prayers type 
scenario, which I, I think kind of waters down everything. Um, but you know, Hannah as as a figure is, is a pretty interesting female character uh, because she she is taunted and and um, according to First Samuel, you know, she's looked down upon because she can't have a kid and that kind of thing. So uh, I, I've always heard that as well. If you pray hard enough, then God's going to answer your prayers and give you a kid. Um, I, I like to think that this is another reaffirmation of God interrupting history to affirm the people that are taunted and the people that are looked down upon rather than just, you know, God answering a, a, an ask. <laughs> you know, it's like God checks his email at 11 o'clock at night on his phone. He's like, Ugh, who's this Hannah? Sure, whatever. Here, have a kid. That, you know, that, that just seems kind of, I don't know, kind, kind of uh, be- below the, the maker, if you will. So to, to have Hannah kind of as this very important figure in the history of Israel is is a neat and very important, um, I'll say interesting drink <laughs> um, scenario. But all right, so we, so we get we get that, and then we get uh, the interesting stuff about Samuel and Eli early on, um, the high priest Eli and, and all of his sons and and how their interaction occurs. And then we get uh, some really kind of theological and historical interesting tidbits, like the defeat of Israel, where, where the Ark of the Covenant gets captured, and then the Israelites go back and, and beat the uh, the Philistines and take the Ark back to Jerusalem. But for a while, you know, to think that the Ark of the Covenant was in the hands of the Nazis there is pretty interesting. <laughs> um, and then in chapter 7, we get grown-up Samuel all of a sudden, and Saul is chosen as king, which Samuel is not a big fan of. And, and Samuel represents this transition figure from the kind of democratic, almost anarchic kind of states' rights <laughs> role of, of the judges who kind of temporarily would come into power. And, you know, they, they were there to be kind of these warrior kings, perhaps, um, not necessarily full-time you know, full-blown Middle Eastern kings with all the trappings of a of a pharaoh or, or of a Babylonian king, but all of a sudden the Israelites look around and, and just like us, instead of saying, "Hey, we really uh, thrive on this idea that that we can elect this person who is the child of a single mother who's biracial and who made something of himself and pulled himself up by his bootstraps." Uh, through all the, this adversity and was raised by his grandparents, basically. Uh, no, no, no. We, we, we want someone who was on The Apprentice. We want someone who was... Uh, uh, we, we want a dictator. You know, we, we want to make America great again. And that kind of feels like Samuel. <laughs> you know, when the Israelites are like, no, no, we, we hear you, Samuel. We, we know that, that God says that God does not want to go through a king to get to us, but we want a king. Yeah. So give us a king. And Samuel says, all right, fine. So Samuel anoint Saul against his better judgment. And um, and then we have, you know, the, these really interesting uh, kind of military stories about the Ammonites and the Philistines and the Malachites. Um, and, and Saul, through all of that, kind of transitions that role of the judge from being just a military king into also being a political king. And um, then at the last part of Samuel... And chapters like 16 through 31, 30, 32, 30, 31, yeah. Um, we have David coming 
as a character. So Samuel kind of is in in our imaginary world in, in three parts. And this last sort of part of the trilogy is beautiful literature. Like if you haven't read 1 Samuel chapter 16 through 31 through the end, it doesn't take long. Go pick it up. It, it's really fascinating. Um, David comes along. He's playing the harp. He's a, he's a cute little guy. He's kind of the... Uh, He's kind of the my, – my phone just vibrated off the desk. Got excited there. He's kind of the – I don't know. He's like the child actor that grows up, and, and all of a sudden he's Justin Bieber. you know. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, you changed. Um, we get Goliath, you know, David and Goliath. Um, and, then, and then David makes friends with the general Jonathan. And we get this beautiful story between – as we talked about last week, between uh, – David and, and Jonathan and, and how their friendship evolves, quote friendship, um, and 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 some of those signals, but also just just the nature of someone who's who's a young person trying to find themselves in a very weird situation where they are sort of put on this pedestal quickly. It, it's it's good literature. I mean, it really is. But it you know theologically also it has a lot of importance. Um, David has to flee because Saul figures out that David is is going to usurp him or fears that he's going to usurp him. And then all of a sudden, um, basically God, you know, turns his back on Saul and, and that's that's it for Saul. And poor Saul dies. But also Jonathan dies. And, you know, uh, at that point, David is kind of left in a lurch because his arch rival, but also Jonathan, you know, his best friend, quote unquote, you know, is left with... Um, you know, a lot of. I don't know. It, it's a. It's an interesting, wonderful kind of kind of multi-layered approach. So anyway. Um, so you're gonna give us a score? I know. I I, I just. <laughs> I know you just avoid I, it as long as you can. Every time I read, you know, Samuel, I, I just I just love it. And I was gonna say three two. But you can't do that. I can't do that. So I'm gonna say four one, Samuel. Sorry. Um, so that's gonna it's gonna tie us in the bracket, but it's gonna give Samuel the uh, the win over the fourth gospel. I apologize to everyone who's a big fan of the fourth gospel. It is a, a fantastic and amazing book, wonderful theology. I'm, I'm not adverse to high theology, um, and Thomas laid out his his argument beautifully, and I, I agree with everything that Thomas said. So there's that. So that takes us to our last challenge. Mark and Genesis. Do you, well, do you have any? Do you have any rejoinders there for uh, John and, and Samuel today? No, I agree. I mean, they're they're they really are just both great books. It's, yeah, it is hard. Yeah, all these are hard choices at this stage. Um. Yeah. All right. So Mark and Genesis. Yeah, I know. That's how I feel too. So, um, I don't know. I just got to go for one, Mark. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, really? It's got to be Mark. It's my favorite. I can't vote against Mark. What? And I've laid out all my reasons already up to this point. Oh, you're a terrible person. What about Genesis? I mean, the, the name Genesis. You, you walk up to anybody on the street and you say, Mark. And they're going to say, what about Mark? Like, who's Mark? You say Genesis, boom, everybody gets it. 
I mean, the word itself. If you want to, if you want to use the the quotient of importance, it is the beginning. We wouldn't have Mark yep. without Rishi Bra Elhim et Hashmayim Bed Haaretz. I know. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> I know. Four one. Wow. Well, I got to throw a little bit of weight around. I can't go three two and risk you going four one on Genesis. So if you're going to go with Genesis, you got to go. You got to go strong. Uh, okay. Can, can I go back and give you John and I take Genesis? <laughs> nope. Uh, you took your namesake. Oh. Wow. Okay. Um, I mean, I could go five zero and just fuck. <laughs> that. All right, so wow. All right, Genesis. I mean, Genesis thirty two, wrestling with God. We get the name Israel. We have there's Abraham, Isaac. There's there's everything. It's the creation. Two creation stories. Two two flood stories. Yeah. My my daughter last week put together a a a, a puzzle about the flood. She didn't put together a puzzle about. Mark chapter seven. <laughs> she put together like a little art puzzle. So what you're saying is is you're you're having your daughter um, celebrate uh, worldwide genocide. We made it. Why not? <laughs> Fuck those Neanderthals. So if it were Who needs the Neanderthals and dinosaurs. <laughs> so um, if it were Ricky Gervais, like if Genesis were the Ricky Gervais version of him reading the flood story, I'd probably vote for that. Um, I mean, okay, yeah, Genesis is great. It's at the beginning. That's where it all gets started. You have these great ideologies there, right? It's not explaining oh. what happened at the beginning. But you also have, right, the whole, I, so I'm not a proponent of the quote-unquote fall, right? The kind of Augustinian idea that. That's Augustine. That's not in the Bible. I know, but that's, I'm saying that reading of Genesis. Well, I where, think people read Mark right, poorly. Where, um, you know, they're in the garden and they're perfect and then they eat the fruit of the tree and then they they have sinned now, apparently. And now Thomas, somehow all of humanity, not mean all of okay. humanity is now <laughs> sinful. OK, that's just bad Augustinian theology, uh, which Augustine, which Augustine reads Genesis. back into <sighs> Paul. OK, but nonetheless, even if we don't read Augustinian fall theology into Genesis, there's no way around reading the text right they clearly make some mistake because they get banished from the garden they get on god's bad side but god set them up to fail (laughs) which is kind of a horrible way to start god's kind of a jerk yes do you disagree with that in 2017 no donald trump yeah god sets up a king he's our cyrus um I had to open another beer. <laughs> Jeez, this is—I'm I'm, going to be awake all night now. Um. Okay. Yes, God's a jerk in Genesis one, and you know, I mean, kind of. If you uh, if you read it by itself, but uh, there's. Okay, so I, 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 being serious, I think what most people mistake about Genesis. Or the makes the mistake that most people make about Genesis is thinking that it was written in you know 1500 BC BCE whatever. That's not the case. Like the book was composed later. Sure, there are some elements. I, I don't want to go all Valhausen on you, but I, I do believe that Genesis was a you know a later constructed book. Um, so it was setting up a narrative that had to do with the kingship and had to do with the the fall. And it had a lot of Babylonian 
Mesopotamian uh, elements, as you know, lots of the Old Testament does. Um, but I, I think one of the shortcomings of Genesis is, is that because it's first, and it feels old, that that people want to want to think that it was written, you know, by Moses in 1700 or whatever. Well, okay. Uh, to be you know I mean? to be fair, Deuteronomy. You know, they do say, like, I mean, yeah, everybody thinks that Moses wrote the Pentateuch, which he didn't because he dies in Deuteronomy before it ends. Um, but this is, like, they read the Gospels as if they're eyewitness accounts, and I think a lot of people read Genesis right. as if it's an eyewitness account. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right, right. So it's like, well, you know, clearly uh, Methuselah contributed his part. Right. Methuselah! Everybody knows the name Methuselah? Ah. <laughs> so I... Man, I did not see that coming. Like like Donald Trump's election, I did not see that coming. Um, okay, well, I. Hmm. It's all, why, it's, why, it's all in your hands now, Sam. Why just one? Choose wisely. So 1 Samuel is the only book of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible that's going to make it into the final four, even though, what, 68% of the Bible is represented by the Hebrew Bible. Hmm. It's not by design. I, I see. No. I, I. You know what? I mean, rich get richer, the white get whiter, the, the New Testament gets New testament <laughs> I see how this works. <sighs> I would have voted for Esther if I knew this shit was going to happen. <laughs> All right, so I I really thought Genesis was going to win the whole tournament, Thomas. I mean, this is like flip. I mean, it still my, can. My lid. Like I said, the power is in your hands, Sam. <laughs> I'm not. Well, uh, so w- w- effectively, what you're trying to set up is a Mark versus Matthew final. No, I really don't actually want that final because that's an easy final for me. I just cannot vote against Mark. And because it is my favorite, at least gospel, probably my favorite text, um, I've I've got to give it some weight. So that's why I go four one instead of like three two. Even though yes, this is an obviously difficult matchup. So you have a choice. All right, I'm gonna go three two Genesis. Wow, wow. <laughs> so you've conceded then that we're gonna have. I don't like it. I mean, you can you can still go five zero Genesis. That's what it would take for Genesis to win. But the just to think, I mean, I, I we're, definitely understand. We're it. down to making like, we're down to making hard choices. I know. I, I get that, and and I know that you like Mark. But you better come up with a damn good explanation next week about why Mark should make it to the finals. And why it should be Genesis of all books. Like, Genesis should be the, the champion of this whole thing. It is the, the greatest story ever told. You can still make it happen, Sam. No, I'm, I'm done. Okay. 3-2. <laughs> all right, so Mark versus First Samuel, Matthew versus Revelation, yay New Testament. <laughs> uh, after all that, lamentation, lamentation. 
Yeah, this would have been so much better if Mark Genesis were the final matchup. Yes. I mean, that, that would be a hell of a show. People are going to be very upset. I know. <laughs> all, all, uh, all three people that, that care about the Old Testament, because everybody that listens is evidently a New Testament scholar. Ah, this is payback for Luke going out in the first round. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's... Um... Can't can even be 2-2. Two, two. Should be 2-2. Two, two. Should be Matthew Revelation... And then, uh, and then, and then Mark, and I mean, then uh, Genesis and First Samuel, and then, and then we could we could shake it up and have, uh, you know, First Samuel versus Revelation or something. I will say there is the bronze match. That's true. For third place on the on the podium, and I'm I'm not above having people or us uh, say in the bronze match instead of just being a loser of the last two of the final four that could be that could be a double elimination match oh no that that could be so you know you get the final four and then the loser of instead of being 91 92 that could be maybe the loser of 90 genesis against the loser of 91 you know what i mean yeah yeah see see what i'm saying yeah we'll, we'll consult the um the book of armaments the Oracle of Delphi. We will uh, pull out the holy hand grenade, Brother Maynard. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know his name. That's funny. Uh, that was that was painful. It's just like us. We always end shows on horribly down and depressing notes. Yeah. Like Genesis of, losing. Uh, yeah. Wait. Wait. Wait to throw that one in there. President Trump's former chief strategist Stephen Bannon met with the second most powerful Communist Party official in China during a trip to Beijing last week. Bannon was invited to meet with the head of the Chinese Communist Party's anti-corruption campaign, uh, Wang, I'm, I'm not going to say that, at the Chinese leadership compound, according to the report. The 90-minute 90 90 meeting reportedly took place after Bannon delivered a speech in Hong Kong at an event put on by the unit of the largest Chinese government-owned brokerage. Sources told the Times that the meeting was, quote, unrelated to Trump's upcoming visit to China, even though Stephen K. Bannon helped sculpt uh, the U.N. speech last week. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah, the whole Bannon is like, you know, going to be anti-Trump now is. It's a hotline bling there. <clears throat> yeah, it's so obvious what's going on, but. <clears throat> so did, did you did you see the news also about um Manafort last night. Yes. Yep. Um, see what happens. It's going down. It's going down. He's going down. But I, I'm going to guess they've already flipped Colin him. Tepper. Yeah. So is he going to flip? I'd be surprised if, if if he if he hasn't flipped yet. He's got, I mean, it's the pressure. Right. right? The, like, I mean, that's why they're putting the pressure on him because they think he's the weak link. He's got a daughter. Uh, you know, they're yeah. Um. I would not be surprised if he's the one that flips. Others will too, yeah. but you need somebody that actually knows a lot to flip. And I think Manafort is, is that guy. Yeah. You don't want to go after spicy. No oh, God. Spicy. What a, what a jerk. Do you see that? He, he, he threatened a uh, reporter. Yes. From Axios. For asking him questions. <laughs> like, like this isn't illegal. Who's dude. known him for 12 years and knows his family and everything. <laughs> 
Yeah. And he was like, stop harassing me. I'm going to consult my attorney. Yeah. <laughs> the reporter's like, what? I am not here for his image rehabilitation tour. No, that's terrible. I, ca- I can't believe the Emmys. No, that was ridiculous. Well, I can because, you know, look at the ratings. What were they thinking? Like, oh, let's let's be funny. Let's get Spicer out here. <sighs> yeah, because, I mean, they were thinking we got to get a good joke and we think this is a good joke and he'll be in on it. And except you don't joke about somebody knowingly and willingly lying to the American people on the behalf of the president over and, and over and over Holocaust. again. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, we, we were watching um, because you can watch local television on Hulu now, which is pretty awesome because we use Hulu as our thing since we don't have cable. Oh, I got to tell you about that too. So I, anyway, um, we um, we were watching it and he comes out and I was like, oh my God. Marianne was like, is that Sean? And I was like, yeah. You know, and and I, I was, I did not laugh. I was like, what, what, why, why, why would you try to normalize this? Yeah. Well, they don't know, we don't know what, I mean, not we, I, I know what else to do, but in general, as a population, we don't know what else to do, right? We don't know how to, we, we can say this is not normal, but we don't know how to act as if it's not normal as a population. And so all we do is normalize it. So that's why we're, everybody's like patting Trump on the back for supposedly making a deal with the Democrats on DACA. Yeah, right? right and it's like no that's i don't know yeah that's all we know how to do is act as if it's politics is normal but it's it's not politics is normal so yeah um yeah thanks for listening if you're still here um we know that you're committed that you love us uh which means you should go to patreon.com slash thinking religion slash thinking religion yes <laughs> Uh, and also um, get in touch on Twitter. Tell me about whatever that you know river bear game is, uh, where you can't go around it or over it or under it. You got to go through it. Um, I don't know what the hell that. I think you made that. Yeah, up. that was L, that was the LSD. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Thomas Whitley. Sam's at Sam Harrelson. You can always find this great podcast at Thinking.fm.